Paul's epistle to the Philippians and we're looking at Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Just the opening verses there, verses 1 and 2. Paul's opening salutation to the Philippians. In one of Spurgeon's sermons, he said, We are happy that history so accurately tells us by the pen of Luke, when the gospel was first preached in Europe, and by whom, and who was the first convert brought by that preaching to the Saviour's feet. Well, the Bible reveals that the gospel of Christ was first preached in Europe about 53 AD in Philippi, which in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, we just read it a few minutes ago, Acts 16, verse 12, it's described as a colony. As such, Philippi was an entirely Roman city, despite being located in Macedonia. The official language was Latin, and its citizens were considered to be Roman citizens. The person who brought the gospel to the Philippians was the Apostle Paul, who, according to Acts chapter 16, had a vision in which a man of Macedonia appeared to him and said, Come over into Macedonia and help us. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 10, Paul's travelling companion Luke said, And after that he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavoured to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. As for the first convert in Philippi, that great honour goes to Lydia, a seller of purple, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Also, Acts chapter 16 gives details of various others who were graciously saved from their sins by God through the uh, ministry of the Apostle Paul and his travelling companions, such as the keeper of the prison where Paul and Silas were being held with their feet fastened in the stocks. As for Paul's epistle to the Philippians, it was written about 10 years after the events of Acts chapter 16, and it is a letter in which he thanked the church at Philippi for all that he had received from them. More generally, it is a letter that contains tremendous encouragement. For example, Paul spoke about the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Also, the word joy can be found six times. That's more times than all but three of the 27 New Testament books. When you appreciate that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and that true joy is also a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ, who in John chapter 17 and verse 13, prayed to his Father in his high priestly prayer. This is what he said, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled 
in themselves. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace who gives his peace and also he gives his joy. Therefore, it ought not surprise you to learn that the four chapters of this comparatively short (coughs) letter, which speak of peace and joy, those four chapters are filled with Jesus. In fact, the name Jesus appears 21 times, which is more times than in 19 of the other 26 New Testament books. The only books of the Bible that mention the name of Jesus more than this epistle are the four gospel books, Acts of the Apostles, Romans and 1 Corinthians, all of which are considerably bigger. Again, let's remember that Philippians is just four chapters. Coming now to Philippians chapter 1, it is written in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. At the time of writing this epistle, about 64 AD, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Unlike nearly all his other epistles, he made no mention of his apostleship in the opening salutation or in fact anywhere else in the letter. He simply described himself and Timothy as servants of Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, two different words are both translated servant in many of our English Bibles. Two Greek words, both translated servant in certainly in my Bible and many others. One of those Greek words refers to a hired servant, such as in Acts chapter 10 and verse 7, where it is written, Cornelius called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Just household servants. The other Greek word uh, that is translated servant is very different. It refers to a slave. And that is precisely what the apostle was saying in verse 1, that he is a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Namely, that he had been formerly a slave of Satan and that having been bought by Christ, he is now a willing slave. Not so much a servant, but a willing slave bound to his new master, Jesus Christ. Also in verse 1, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, referred to the Christians in Philippi as saints in Christ Jesus so Paul, he's calling himself a, a, a slave, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, and those he has written to are saints in Christ Jesus. Many people are accustomed to the idea that becoming a saint involves a process that is initiated by the Roman Catholic Church, and eventually the Pope pronounces someone to be a saint after sufficient evidence is produced or concocted that the candidate for sainthood, who is usually dead by then, has indeed performed a miracle or has died a martyr's death. That's what we're led to believe 
the Roman Catholic Church, the Pope initiates the process for making someone or elevating someone to sainthood. However, that is not biblical and it is one of the many inventions of Roman Catholicism. Do not imagine that the Apostle Paul was writing to a select few who had been promoted to sainthood by the Apostle Peter, whom Roman Catholic tradition would have us believe was the first Pope. The fact of the matter is that all born-again Christians are saints. All born-again Christians are saints, where saint means holy, It has been said that when Paul spoke of a Christian as being in Christ, he meant that a Christian lives in Christ as a bird lives in the air, a fish in the water, the roots of a tree in the soil. What makes a Christian different is that he is always and everywhere conscious of the encircling presence of Jesus Christ. Note in verse 1, that it is in Christ Jesus, Christians are said to be saints. It is your position in Christ, that you are a saint, that you are holy. Not just a select few, but you, here today, if you are in Christ. We can see the word saints being used as a name for Christians generally, In Acts chapter 9 verse 13, where a disciple named Ananias prayed the following prayer after Paul's Damascus Road conversion. Ananias said, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he have done to thy saints at Jerusalem. That was clearly a reference to the persecution of more than just a few leading figures in the church in Rome, uh, sorry, the church in Jerusalem by Paul before his conversion from Pharisaic Judaism to Christianity at a time when his name was still uh, Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Concerning that persecution, it is written in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, that Saul breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that means they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is when Saul persecuted the saints who were in Jerusalem and indeed elsewhere, Damascus and so on. However, by the grace of God, about 30 years later, Paul, a willing slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent fond greetings and words of encouragement to the church at Philippi rather than breathe threats and murder against them. A little illustration here. I try to avoid illustrations, but I think this one's fairly good. Hopefully it will work. Imagine being enslaved by a wicked king who hates you and he shows absolutely no mercy towards you. In fact, he is a murderer 
and he is a liar. Mercy and grace are most certainly not in his vocabulary. One day a good king comes to your rescue and he kills you. How can that be good if he kills you? Well, he doesn't leave you dead. He raises you up to new life to serve him. The old king pays you a visit from time to time and he tries to entice you to come back to him. But your your bond service for him is well and truly finished. You have a new master who loves you. He is gracious and merciful to you and you are his willing slave. If you are a Christian, then you are someone who was in bond service to the God of this world, the devil. You were one of his slaves and actually a willing slave. However, Jesus has saved you by his grace and you are now dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You are his slave, he is your Lord. As the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul there acknowledging that he died in Christ and that he has risen to new life in Christ. And the life he now lives is by faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved him and gave himself for him. Therefore, if you are a Christian, Jesus is your saviour from sin. Most certainly he is. But he is also your new master. You are under his yoke as his bond slave. That, dear friends, is real freedom. Do you realise that? Blessed are you if you realise that being a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and being under his yoke, that's freedom. That really is true freedom. It's a wonderful freedom. Having Jesus as your Lord, your master, and not only are you his slave, you are a saint in him. You're both of them. Not one or the other. You are his bond slave and you are a saint in him. Holy in Jesus. Having been sanctified and made holy by his precious blood. Slaves do things for their masters. Being a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ refers to the good works that God has prepared for you in advance to do and which spring from a genuine faith in Jesus. Anything that you do, anything that uh, is deemed to be good works, if you do that without faith in Jesus, it's nothing more than filthy rags in God's sight. Everything that we put our hands to will inevitably be marred by sin and self. And when you think about it, even our charitable acts, there's always some self in there somewhere. It makes us feel good when we do something nice for someone. When we help the old lady across the road, 
we go away thinking, well, I did a good thing there. Wasn't that good of me? Despite that, it pleases God to receive the feeble endeavours of his saints and he describes them as good works because they do those things in Christ and they are accepted in Christ. Let's have a look at verse 1 again. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. As well as addressing this letter to the saints, we see there that Paul is addressing this uh, letter to the bishops and deacons. I've already said that all Christians are saints in Christ Jesus. So that would include these people who he calls bishops and deacons. Within churches, some of the saints are called bishops, otherwise known as elders or overseers. We're probably more familiar with those terms, aren't we? Elders. They are bishops. They are not just the high-ranking clergy in the Church of England who wear those big fancy hats. Bishops are men who appointed, who are appointed to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. In other words, bishops have a responsibility to feed the saints with the word of God. And therefore, bishops stroke elders, stroke overseers, must be able to teach. And a pastor is such a person, a bishop, but he has a responsibility for engaging in regular preaching ministry within the church. So, yeah, me. I'm a bishop. I don't wear the big fancy hat, but I'm a bishop. But uh, you know me as your, your pastor because I'm engaged in the regular preaching of the word. And it's my duty to feed you with the word of God week in and week out. And I look to God to enable me to do that. As for church deacons, it is their duty to relieve the bishops of administrative and practical duties so that uh, the bishops may give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And hence we have two deacons here at this church and uh, the the various duties they perform, if they didn't do them, then someone else would have to do them, and that someone would largely be me. And I'm very thankful that in this church I've got two deacons to do those various practical tasks, and uh, that frees me to prepare meals for you, spiritual food for you. Let's have a look at verse 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Having seen in verse 1 whom this epistle is from and to whom this epistle is addressed, we now have the salutation or the greeting. It is written, Grace be unto you. If you are a saint, you are a recipient of God's grace. His undeserved favour. That grace 
is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And the reason that it is undeserved, unmerited, is because it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. The good works that God has prepared you to do, now as a Christian, that will not save you. And don't imagine that you did some kind of spectacular thing in order to be saved. It doesn't work like that. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. And therefore there will be no boasting in heaven. None of you who are Christians in here will be able to say to the person next to you in heaven, I deserve to be here because of the things I did when I was in the world. That's not how it is. You have redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of God's grace. Everything that you now, you now, you now are, rather, a saint, a royal priest, in a holy nation, a son of God or a daughter of God, a joint heir with Christ, no less, an heir of a heavenly inheritance, None of that is of yourself. It is all by the grace of God. Verse 2 also speaks of peace. We can see straight away that it is a very, very special peace. And that is because it is not of this world. It comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2 again. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. There is much in this letter on the subject of peace and we will look at that later and not today. But suffice to say for now that the peace that the Lord Jesus Christ gives is one that endures. It's not a peace that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's a peace that transcends all the sorrows and miseries and horrible things of this world because it is a peace that comes from God. And it is the portion of all who are saints in Christ Jesus and it is not the portion of anyone else. It is a peace that Jesus has made through the blood of his cross. You have to believe in the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to know that peace and to have that peace. Although as a Christian you are to try to live in peace with everyone, the peace spoken of in verse 2 is peace with God. First and foremost, it's peace with God. That peace would extend to peace within uh, the church, living at peace with one another. It's not always easy, is it? Because we do have sin that gets in the way. But we do have peace with God if we are in Christ Jesus, as his saints and as his slaves. And that kind of peace is forevermore. 
in that what in that you who were once an enemy of God have been reconciled to God by the Lord Jesus Christ and as I've said as I've said you are now a son or a daughter of God that really needs to be thought about if you are a son or a daughter of God it speaks for itself how can that mean anything other than you having peace with God if God is your father and it it, it does speak of a peace which is forever you know you're having peace with God your your sonship or being a daughter of God, that's not something that's going to end, ever. Paul was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and that is something neither you nor anybody else who is alive today can legitimately lay claim to. Paul didn't even lay claim to it here in this letter. He does elsewhere, but not in his letter to the Philippians. You won't see it anywhere in that letter. Paul referring himself to as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was. He was. No one else here can lay claim to that. Even so... You are truly blessed if, like Paul, you are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ in willing service to him, and you are a saint in Christ Jesus. May grace and peace be multiplied unto you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Amen.